You know, several weeks ago, we began our series called Snapshot, and here's what we're learning in Snapshot. We're walking through the book of Mark, and as we walk through the book of Mark, we're looking at different snapshots of Jesus interacting with people as they're growing their faith. And one of the things that we've said, both for the people in the New Testament as we read about, but in our lives today as we make application, is as you think about snapshots of faith, Jesus is not looking for perfect faith. Okay, so many times, like, let's get that perfect picture so we can put it on social media, so we can put it in the photo album, and don't put any bad pictures in there. Life is full of good and bad pictures. And Jesus is not expecting or requiring us to be perfect in our faith. He just wants us to be growing in our faith. And so today, I think being Mother's Day, it would be a little odd to look at a snapshot in the book of Mark if we didn't look at a mother. So if you have your Bibles or you want to look on the screen with me here, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 7, and it's a very famous, well-known encounter snapshot that Jesus had with a mother. And here's what it says in Mark chapter 7, verse 24. It says, then Jesus left Galilee, and he went north to the region of Tyre. He didn't want anyone to know which house he was staying in, but he couldn't keep it a secret. And right away, a woman who had heard about him came, and he fell at his feet. And her little girl was possessed with an evil spirit, in which she begged him to cast out the demon from her daughter. And since she was a Gentile... Now, if you have your Bible and you circle in your Bible on your notes there on your page, circle that word Gentile. That's a key word in this. And let me explain why. As you know, Jesus was Jewish. And so back in those days, 2,000 years ago, the two things that did not mix was Jewish and Gentile. In fact, the Jewish people felt that Jesus the Messiah had come for them and them alone, and he would never make himself available to the rest of the world who wasn't Jewish. Yet the Gentile woman, she'd heard about the miracles, she'd heard about the teaching of Jesus, and you can tell in this story right here that she was literally a desperate woman. She had a daughter that was possessed by a demon. And I'm sure she had tried all these different measures trying to get rid of this demon like any mother would, and that love that only a mother can have for a daughter, and it couldn't, couldn't remove the demon from her. And so she went into this house where Jesus was, and you have to imagine as she walked in, she wasn't a very welcome person. Because it would have been a house full of Jewish people. Jews and Gentiles didn't just not get along. They didn't hang out together. In fact, Jews thought they would become unclean and dirty if a Gentile even came in their presence. And so you can imagine they're in this room, this house full of people, all these Jewish people. Jesus is in there. He's trying to hide out and get a little bit of rest maybe from all the crowds and ministry that he was going through. And this woman comes into the room. And as soon as she came in, everyone would have known she was the outsider. She was the Gentile person. And look what happens next. And Jesus told her first, because she asked him, could you heal my daughter of this demon? And Jesus told her, first, I should feed the children, my own family, the Jews. Is it right or it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs? Now, you've probably read a lot of stories about this loving Jesus that does not sound very loving right there. That he looks at this woman going, really? Like, I got to take care of my people first, okay? I got to take care of my family first. Um, Is it right that if I took what I'm feeding to my family and feed it to the dog? So he basically called this woman a dog. Now, theologians will differ. Some think that maybe that dog, that definition was like a mongrel, a street mongrel that lived out in the neighborhood. But probably he was referring to like a puppy dog. Still not the best term to refer to this woman and her family. He was trying to say, should I take from us and give to you? Should I take from God's favorite people, the called people, the chosen people, the Jewish people, and should I give it to you Gentile people? And so there's this moment that the crowd just kind of going, ooh, and Jesus kind of dividing them in half going, okay, let's set things straight here for a second. Look what he says and what happens next. 
because then she replied to Jesus after calling her a dog, and should he feed the, the, the food to the dogs first? She replied, that's true, Lord, but even the dogs under the table are allowed to eat the scraps from the children's plates. What you sense right there, this woman is going, Jesus, what you may be saying is true, but even the dogs are hungry. Like, I am so desperate. We will take scraps from you if it helps my daughter become healed from this demon inside of her. And so the crowd is kind of watching what's going to happen next. And Jesus responded, good answer. Good answer, woman. Now go home, for the demons has left your daughter. And when she arrived home, she found her little girl lying quietly in bed, and the demon was gone. A lot of times when you read Scripture and study Scripture and stories like this, there's what I refer to as an upper story and a lower story. The upper story is that part of Scripture that when Mark wrote this account and his gospel, he was trying to get across the main idea that he was trying to get across. And the upper story, the main idea in this one, is it's a tremendous story. It sounds like kind of bad because Jesus is calling these people dogs, but it was really a beautiful story because he was setting up for the first time in his public ministry that he was here not just for the chosen Jewish people, he was here for all people. In fact, as time went on, we would find out that Jesus died on the cross not just for select people, but for all people. For God so loved the world, everyone in there. So this is his first, first public kind of stand, put a stake in the ground. I am here for all people. And as this woman confronted him, he made himself available, his healing power, his salvation, the faith in him, he made it available to her. So that's the upper story, that God, Jesus as Savior is for all people. But the lower story in the Scripture is often another secondary story that we can learn something from it. It may not be the main point, but there's still some good teachable points in here. And here's the secondary, the lower story that we find in Mark chapter 7. It's a mother's love for her daughter that is so sacrificial and so unconditional that she would do anything for that daughter to experience Jesus. Now, if you're a mom in here, you can know what she's going through, right? That you've gone through things going, I would die for my daughter. I would die for my son if it meant them making the right choices, moving forward and experiencing Jesus. In fact, if you're like me and you raised a daughter, you probably said at a time, I have a demon-possessed child in my house because I know the up and downs of teenager life that we went through with her, okay? But, but there's many, many times that we're just going, whether mother or father, there's a sacrificial love that we would do anything. And not just to give our kids a new car, not just to make sure they have the right education, but when it comes to our faith, that we will do whatever it takes to allow our children, the next generation, to experience the faith in Jesus that we know about. That's the lower part of the story. That's the part I want to focus on today. And since it is Mother's Day, and we're going to talk about the love of parents, but especially moms, I thought I would solicit the help of the best mom that I know of, the most amazing mom that I know of, and I've asked my wife, Denise, to join me up on the stage, and she's going to help me teach today. So would you welcome my wife, Denise? Okay, this is round two. We've had one service already. One down. One down. One more to go. Now, I have to explain this to you, the reason we say it that way. I've been in ministry for 30 years. In our 30 years of ministry and marriage, this is only the second time that Denise has ever stood up on a stage with me and publicly did some public speaking in here. The first time, it cost me a brand new pair of shoes. I have no idea what it's going to cost me this time. So would you just tell her thank you again for being up here? Yes. Okay, we've done it once, second time. How are you doing right now? 
a little bit better, but still, it's not my thing. Yeah. <laughs> we woke up this morning, we were getting ready in the bathroom, and I said, how are you doing? She goes, I am so mad at you. Why did you ask me to do this? Okay, so hopefully, we're going to do some counseling after this and work through it a little bit. Okay, so mom, how many kids? Tell us about your kids. Well, we have two kids. We have a son who's 28 and a daughter who's 27, Jordan and then Alex. Um, our son is married, so we say that we always like to say we have three kids because our daughter-in-law is one of ours. Um, they have given us our only granddaughter right now. She's about to be two, so we're Nona and Diego. So we're parents and newly grandparents. Yeah, and in addition to that, maybe like some of you are like this way. We've had a number of people that kids have lived with us over the years that we're kind of like that adopted mom whether it's for a month or two months or six months or years so we got lots of kids out there mm -hmm. thank goodness we don't have to support all of them but uh, <laughs> we have lots of kids out there so here's what we want to focus on that that lower story passing um, um passing our faith to the next generation and let's just acknowledge this many in this room right now like your kids are already gone out of the house like ours but passing our faith to the next generation is not this assignment we have until they graduate high school I think as a parent, regardless of how old we are or how old our children are, we always have that responsibility. We always carry that mantle that we're always wanting to pass our faith along to them who are the next generation. And then oftentimes it goes to our grandkids and our great-grandkids. So we're always in this faith-passing mindset that we're in. And so Denise, thinking about that, and we talked some this week, as we try to intentionally pass our faith along to our kids, what's, um, one, or, or let me just nail it, one of the things that we declared and we decided this week is to prioritize connecting relationally with your kids. Now, if you're taking, out, taking notes there on your outline, that's the first one. Um, one of the things that you can do if you're passing along your faith is to prioritize connecting relationally with your kids. Now, mm -hmm. I want to get to you because you did so good at this. What are some things that you did growing when the kids were growing up and even now to, to connect relationally with the kids? Um, I think a big thing is um, we celebrate our kids on their birthdays, right? That's like just a given. We celebrate them. I think we celebrated them when they're young. We still celebrate them when they're, when they're old. Um, we would do little things. They had a plate that had their name on it, and that's what they would eat their piece of cake on. Um, now they have their own plates. Um, then, I don't know what made us do this, but we um, would wait for the kids to go to sleep, and we would fill up, like, seems like millions of balloons and um, wait till they went to sleep and we'd sneak in their room and put it all on the floors so then when they woke up on their birthday morning they woke up to all these balloons and we did that forever I think till they left yeah I remember and like one year in high school we're thinking okay we're kind of too old to be blowing up all these balloons <laughs> and we're tired of blowing up these balloons we're tired of celebrating it this way you're grown here's twenty dollars and go happy birthday right <laughs> um, but one year in their one of their high school we're just we didn't do it and they woke up the next morning and they walked into a room going, where's my balloons? Okay, they, were, they wanted their balloons. But, but here's what we learned in that one. Celebrating our kids is more than throwing a party. It's really valuing them. And the best way to create a relationship with our kids is to value them who they are. But we didn't just celebrate like holidays. We celebrated other things as well, right? Right, right. Um, Friday nights. Our kids, if, they, if it was up to them when they were young, they would sleep in our room every night. <laughs> At the foot of our bed on the floor, you know, they would sleep in our room. So we made it like this Friday night thing. We would watch a Disney movie and then we would have, you know, they would come and sleep in our room on the floor. And they'd bring their pallets and all their pillows and, and they would not they wouldn't miss it. Like they wouldn't go do something else on a Friday night because they met. Clarify. 
this is an elementary. Oh, yeah, By the time yeah. they got to high school, that would have been a little awkward, <laughs> right? Like so um, they did this, go out and do things on Friday this, nights. <laughs> this is like early, <laughs> early elementary. But I'll never forget the sweetest thing that I'll never, ever forget. Um, it was the night before our son was going to college. We were taking him as a family to college the next day. And we were getting ready for bed. And he came in the doorway with his blankets and his pillow and asked if he could sleep on the floor of our um, bedroom. And it's it, like, oh my gosh, yes. It brings us tears. Yeah, even so about I it. went and told my daughter, hey, get your stuff. You're going to sleep on the pallet on the floor in our bedroom. And uh, she was like, really? She was yes. like a junior in high school. So she was like, going, this really? is the stupidest thing I've ever done in my life. <laughs> I know. She stood there at the door just going, really? And we're like, yes, this is what we're doing. <laughs> So that was, that was something I'll never, ever yeah. forget. But we would celebrate events. Yes. We'd celebrate them. Yes. What are other things that you think back we intentionally did to build these relationships with our kids? Um, I think we took active parts in whatever they were doing. We, in yeah. their activities, in their football games, and practices, and awards, and, and thankful that we both had schedules that we, we could do that. I know yeah. not everybody has the flexibility to be able to do that but um i think it was important for them to look out into the bleachers or the the stands and, and see their parents yeah um cheering and them probably on. many of you have done that with your kids or maybe you're still doing that that you've been to soccer games and cheerleading and band and and choir you name all those things i do remember kind of I, I think back kind of guilty now that when they got finally got to middle school i'm like Oh, we don't have to go to practices. Now the coach at school can do that. But it was important that we were at those things. It's interesting. I got up this morning. I made a post on Facebook to my own mom and just how she loved me and just those this Mother's Day post. A friend of mine from elementary school and middle school and high school commented on my post. And he said, and this is many, many years ago, he said, I remember your mom being at all of your events and how special that was. And I'm going, if that made an impact about with one of my friends, can you imagine what an impact we make by simply being present with our kids? Mm -hmm. So that was really a way that just in all their activities. But let me throw this out to you because sometimes people ask me, okay, so you're present in all their activities. You're doing all this stuff to build, build relationships with them. Is it quantity of time or quality of time that you're looking for? And my answer is yes. Okay, the answer is yes, it's both, okay? You don't really get quantity or quality of time unless you have quantity of time. That you can't look at your children going, okay, I've got 15 minutes that I'm setting aside the best 15 minutes of my week this week, and you get those 15 minutes. That doesn't make an impact because those 15 minutes may not be the best 15 minutes. It is within the quantity of time that we're putting them in activities, that we're attending these activities, that we're doing things as a family, that we find that quality of time that these relationships are actually built on. But there is a danger in that. Sometimes as parents, we get our kids so busy in activities that we miss the relationship in the activities. That you're so tired by the time you finish soccer practice and cheerleading practice and dance recital, that you're so tired of being busy trying to build relationships that you're just more grumpy and, and just frustrated at one another than you are relationships. In fact, on your outline there, there's a, there's a reminder there for all of us, and it says this. We, you don't keep kids busy to make them better you keep them busy to know them better. Let me say that again. You don't keep kids busy to make them better. You keep them busy to know them better. And we've got to make sure we keep that right focus. I love, I love in Psalms 127, chapter 3, or verse 3 in the message, here's what it says. Don't you see that children are God's best gift? The fruit of womb is his generous legacy. 
And when we receive gifts, we don't take gifts and just wear it out. We take gifts to enjoy it. And God has given us our children, again, whether they're 7 years old right now, 17 years old, or 57 years old, God has given us children that we're to enjoy. And it's as we're intentionally involving ourselves in building these relationships with them that we enjoy them the most. So that was number one thing, as we thought about how do you pass along the faith from one generation to the next, is prioritize connecting relationally with your kids. Here's the second thing that we, we thought of as we reflected on our life that we try to do. We look for spiritual, teachable moments throughout the day. That's when you're filling the blanks. We look for spiritually teachable moments throughout the day. Now, as parents, we all know this. You wear lots of hats, especially if your kids are still in your home. You're a referee. You're an Uber driver. You're a, Denise, you were a chef. You were a short order cook. Short order cook. Maybe not a chef. She was a short order cook. (laughs) She was a housekeeper. I mean, the list goes down on and on and on, right? And one of the hats that we often think we need to wear as a parent is pastor hat, right? Because you're supposed to spiritually lead your kids. But, But here's what I would say with that one. A pastor hat is a hat you should never, ever, ever put on. And here's why. It's not as we, as we spiritually lead our kids, that is not something we do now, then we do something else next, and we do something else next. We spiritually lead our kids all day throughout the day, and that's where these teachable moments come in. And so I was thinking back that, um, as a mom, you tried to, 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 to always have that pastor mentality that you're spiritually leading your kids. Um, what was most important? How did you go about that? Um, well, try is the key word. Okay. It was, it was hard. It was, it was difficult. There was days that it wasn't, I don't think I did my best. I'd go to bed thinking, okay, I was a referee. I was an Uber driver. I was a short order cook. I, you know, I did those things, but was I, was I the, the pastor for them that day? I think I might've just missed it. And, and you've shared before in some of our conversations me being a pastor mm-hmm. was not a help to you. Right, and not, raised, not being raised in the church, I didn't, th- this was all, this was all new. So, yeah, I think I looked a lot towards you to be the one. So it was hard as it you tried hard. to do it. Mm-hmm. But you still did it. So what are some things that you did to trying to create moments, these teachable moments? Can you think of any just specific things that, that you did or we did within the family? Um, dinner was a big, a big thing dinner, um, to do dinner together. And then our kids are 16 and a half months apart. So I think like in junior high, they were going through the same stuff and, um, we're very transparent. Our kids are very transparent. There was lots of conversations and my mom was living with this at the time that she still does now. But, um, there were some conversations that I think if you were listening, you'd be like, Ooh. Yeah, let's just say this. If y'all had a tape recorder and part of my interview for coming to be your pastor was playing back some of those conversations we had at the dinner table with my son and daughter, you would have never hired us. Okay. There were some that I wanted to quit. I was so embarrassed. I mean, you're talking about it. When they hit middle school, you know, they're hitting puberty and there's conversations and bodily, bodily changes going on. And because we just tried to be open and have these ongoing quality conversations all the time, there was a few times at dinner that they began talking about some of the conversations they were having at the school lunch table or in the boys' locker room. And I'm like, okay, I'm not even sure you should know these things yet, right? We're kind of feeling awkward. And I'll never forget, oh my, one time, we're, remember, we're at the table, mother-in-law sitting over here, or we're sitting here. And finally, I looked at Jordan and my son, I said, do you even know what sex is? 
And he looked at me, and he began rambling stuff off that turned all of us red. My mother-in-law got up from the table and left to go to the other room. Okay? It was terrible. But I look back, and I wouldn't trade those for anything because those dinner conversations, and that's we talked about much, much more, I promise you. And we tried to do the family devotional. It just just wasn't us. If if, if you grew up and you had good family devotions, um, like you sat down and you looked at the Bible— God bless you. We yes, just, we just we, because we turned it more to a referee than pastoring because we just couldn't get us. So that's why these dinner conversations, because we would look for ways, right. not every time, okay, now we're going to talk about God, but to weave God, weave God's design in their lives into those conversations. Now, it was more than dinner conversations. Mm-hmm. What else? Where other ways did you look for these teachable moments? Um, driving around with my daughter and son. I mean, they're trapped in the car and and they're not on their phones and we're not listening to the radio and we're just talking. Um, I miss those times. That was valuable, valuable time with them. Um, My daughter, so I have a son and a daughter, um, you know, with the girls, they'll just tell you everything. And our daughter did. Um, Our son, he was a little bit more, you know, had it all, had it all together, would keep it in. And then I think with the mother-son relationship, um, they probably tend to go more to, to the fathers. But I remember a friend of mine who, who was a, a mom of boys, older boys, said, she goes, I would just go into the room. If I knew something was going on, she goes, I'd go into his room at night. It's not like you're putting them to bed. But you would just, with the lights off, and sit at the end of his bed and just talk to him. And she goes, it would be amazing of the things that will come out of just whatever they're going through. I think they feel maybe more comfortable with it being dark and, and, and then stuff would just come out. I remember when Jordan was a quarterback and his sophomore year, the coach called him in and said, you're not going to be the quarterback anymore. And that devastated him as a sophomore. And, um, and it wasn't anything about him that he could change. It was because he just wasn't tall enough. Couldn't see over the line, right? That's... Go football. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I, I I would do that with our son to get that part because my daughter was very easy yeah. driving so, around. So going back to driving around, I remember when the kids got their license, you kind of went through some grieving mm-hmm. because that was like the doors are locked, the windows are open, and we have to talk in here. Mm-hmm. So you miss those times, mm-hmm. but you try to find them and in, in put them to bed at night. Mm-hmm. Um, now, just make sure we don't come across the wrong <laughs> way up here, okay? We were not the perfect parents. It's not like every night that we'd go and go and spend 45 minutes putting our kids to bed. Like, there was many nights that we would play paper, rock, scissors to determine who had to go to put them to bed so the other one would go to sleep early, right? So this is not all perfect. These are just right. some of the snapshots of our right. life that, that we went through. Mm-hmm. But I want to ask you this, and I think this is so important. You talked about trying, and, and trying was difficult, and you didn't always feel successful. What do you think it is that made it so hard to feel like you were being good as a mom? That you felt like you're, you are yeah, just what, what was so hard? Um, I think as moms, um, life gets busy, and it's hectic, and I, I feel like we're always, we're, we're just exhausted with all that is ex- not expected, but all that we want to do. I think we have, I think we put more self-expectations on, on ourselves of, of how we're supposed to be. And I think it's worse now with, with social media of saying, oh, well, I'm not like, not like them. I'm not like them. Um, but I, I, I think it's, it's over, it's, it's more overwhelming and, and it's, we can't thrive because we're just so overwhelmed and exhausted yeah. Yeah. and stressed. And you've told me before, sometimes you'd go to bed at night, almost feeling like a failure. 
as a mom. I'm sure that's nothing new to moms in here. Men, we categorize things. We, we compartmentalize so much. So like, oh, put it over here, and then I'll be great over here. But women, that's just, just the way God designs you all together. What would you say to the mom that's sitting here now, and she's going, you just spoke my life, Denise. There's times I go to bed at night, and I just don't feel like a good mom. What would you say to them? First, I'd say breathe. <laughs> um, and then... I know this is, sounds kind of weird, but enjoy, enjoy the, the good parts because there are lots of good stuff, blessings for being a mom. Um, but I would also say um, we, we were very fortunate to go through life and do life with friends that had our kids' age. So we, we weren't doing it alone. Um, and then to, to have friends that were a little bit farther along in what we were doing, where we were in life, was, was a huge help. Um, and then I would say just to remember that our kids are God's first and, and our second. Yeah. And when you feel like you're not making it, that he's there to, to help you get there and yeah. to, to take care of the kids, maybe when you couldn't. I, I think this, there's some moms in here God brought you here for that five minutes. Like you can say, amen, I, I, I needed to hear that, that you're not a failure, that God is there to, to, to cover, to take care. They, they, were, they are and were God's kids before they were ever ours. So thank you um, for sharing that transparently for everyone to be blessed by it. Here's, here's, as we think about this point of having these teachable moments, here's what we need to remember. And this is a mom thing, but this is a dad thing in here. It is not about finding balance. It's about integrating. In fact, if you want to write it down, your reminder there on your sheet says this. You will have the greatest spiritual impact on your kids when you practice integrating rather than balancing. Can we just declare this? Trying to find, find a balanced life as a parent is just dumb. It's not going to happen. It's an impossibility. You will ne- something will always be out of balance. And especially when you try to balance it with the spiritual things that you're trying to put in, you will always feel incomplete and inadequate and so i think you're healthier to look for integrating that's the teaching teachable moments in there to integrate conversations with your kids integrate spiritual moments integrate just direction that god would have them go integrate bible verses throughout the day and don't look at it as another hat that you're supposed to wear I love what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 6 through 9. Moses was talking to all the children of Israel, and he was giving them some parenting directions. Okay, like this may be the first parenting quotation or parenting book that we've ever seen. And here's what it says in that passage. It says, write these commandments. Remember, Moses is talking to the parents on behalf of God. Write these commandments that I've given you today on your hearts. Get them inside of you, and then get them inside of your children. And this is how you do that. Talk about them wherever you are, sitting at home, walking in the street. Talk about them from the time you get up in the morning to when you go to fall to bed and until when you fall into bed at night. Tie them on your hands and foreheads as a reminder. Inscribe them on the doorposts of your homes and on your city gates. Do you know what he was saying there? Integrate. When you sit, when you stand, when you eat, when you go to sleep, when you come, when you go, that's when you're doing all this. So look for those teachable moments as you're trying to lead your kids spiritually. And then let me give you the third one. Okay, so we thought these, these several, but here's the third one. And all of these are important, but I think this third one may be foundational. 
And I think it's even more foundational regardless of what stage of parenting we're in. We could be parenting preschoolers. We could be having elementary. We could be empty nesters. We could be parenting grown kids, grandkids, and grand-grandkids. It all fits in the same category. But here's what it is. This is your third point. Live your own spiritual journey out openly. Let me say it again. Live your own spiritual journey out openly. And of all the things, Denise, I look back, I think you did this most incredible. This is just kind of who you are as a person, but you mastered it with our kids. Describe for all of us here, what are some specific ways or things that you did to try to live your spiritual life openly with your kids? Um, I think think we're both very transparent. Um, And so we were that way with our kids. Um, I remember our daughter and I went to Ethiopia on a, on a mission trip. And so we were roommates and of course, and then I remember a night that, um, our lead pastor was saying, okay, we're going to, um, tomorrow's, what we're going to do is we're going to, um, break off into small little groups. And, um, and then they told us what each group was going to do. And our, my daughter and I were not in the same group. And so we were kind of bummed about that. But, um, what I found out that I was going to be doing was, um, door to door evangelizing, which is so not me, so out of my comfort zone. And, um, and Keith wasn't there for me to just, and then another thing was our lead pastor was in our group. So then I felt this insecurity of, okay, now it's just, it's going to be all shown to him that Denise is just dying over here going, this is just not me. This is not me. I'd much rather just sit down and talk with somebody than to just go door to door evangelizing. It's just not me. So I remember going back to our room and I just told my daughter everything, just told her how I was feeling and how I just felt. And she's the child and you're the parent. Yes. And she kind of parented me that night in our room to say, mom, you can do it. You can do it. But I was telling her, I just feel very, um, inadequate inadequate and just wasn't my didn't feel like that was my gift and 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 I was scared and then to be able to have to do it in front of the lead pastor I felt just the pressure and the stress of it but here's what I think is so healthy about that sometimes as parents I think we feel like we need to put on the superman cape and and try to be the super spiritual person for our kids but when we do that we raise the spiritual bar up so high and so unrealistic that our kids can feel defeated in their own journey of faith because they think, I can never be like mom, I can never be like dad. So I hear that story, and I'm thinking, what the most, that's one of the most amazing discipleship moments that you could have had with Alex because you're showing in transparency, I don't have it all together, that I'm nervous about this, I struggle with this. And it gave Alex a chance to parent you, to mature <laughs> in her own thinking, but I think there's got to be times down the road that she's going, if I don't have it all together... God's not looking for the perfect snapshot. He's looking for a growing snapshot of our faith. So, yeah, I think transparency. What are some other things that you did specifically when it comes to really living your faith out for the kids to see? Um, I think admitting when we're wrong. Um, I can't tell you how many times. My mom lives with us, and she has for a, a long, long time. And um, there'll be, I remember there'll, there'll be some times that I might speak to my mom in a different tone or in a, in a way. And my daughter Could was, you define different uh, tones? <laughs> my daughter was quick to mom. And so I, I think... You would have to tell her you're wrong. That you yes, did. yes. Yeah. And, and I think she felt comfortable doing that because we had a relationship and we were open yeah. and transparent with each other that she would call me 
out on it if I was being, you know, disrespectful to my mom in any way. But, but here's what it does. When we as parents admit when we do wrong and a reaction we might have, or sometimes we parent and we, we look back going, I didn't parent you the best way. And sometimes going to our kids going, I apologize. I could have done that different. Mm -hmm. It shows them a confessional spirit. Because doesn't the scripture say, as we've asked God to forgive our sins, that's what keeps us in relationship with him, within fellowship of him. And so that really models for our kids a heavenly relationship that we need to be having with God. So I, I think that forgiveness. Now, does that mean you're confessing every time you make a sin to your kids? No, they're still the kids. We're still the adults. But there is an openness that you're showing going, my life is not perfect. And I will confess this with you and to you when it's not. Mm -hmm. Okay, any more? Um, and love them unconditionally. I feel yeah. like that's just a given. Right. But I think as our kids are older now, 27 and 28, um, they've made some choices and they're making some choices that maybe we don't agree with. But if, they, if they put us in charge of their life, maybe you're here, 27 and 28 year old. If, they, if my 27 and 28 year old children would put me in charge of their life, we could do a lot better. Because I know exactly what they should be doing, <laughs> how they should be doing, and when they should be doing it, right? Um, but, but here's this unconditional love. I have learned that for us, but I think this is all parents, so many times our self-esteem is based on our kids' behavior. <laughs> our self-esteem was based on their behavior when they're young, trying to compare them to other parents and kids. But even as they get older and grown, it's kind of like your life choices. Like, it, it, how's that going to make me look as a parent? And here's what I've learned. It doesn't matter. As adults especially, we are to love them as unconditionally today as we loved our kids the day that God gave them to us. And that is the foundation of everything we do. In fact, um, I want to read, just talking about this living life transparently and openly for our kids, I want to read a snapshot to you. We, we've had fun. If you haven't done your snapshot yet, you're not out of time, okay? The walk of shame does not happen until next week, so you still have time to get it in here. <laughs> but here's a snapshot, and this is actually, she didn't know I was going to do this. This is Denise's snapshot that I went and pulled off the wall this week. And here's what she says. I experienced one of the biggest faith challenges when my husband quit his job. Okay. <laughs> Thanks a lot, honey, for putting that out there for everybody. But you know, eight months ago, we stepped away, and here's what she said about it. We knew that it was time to leave our church position in California to seek a lead pastor position. We were following God and stepping out in faith in our mid-50s when most people our age should be securing finances for retirement. The Lord protected us during the eight months of our unemployment with good health and sweet time with our friends and family. I will say that there were so many days that I was scared and fearful of the unknown of the future. Although those times of fear came to me often, they didn't last for long. I was reminded by reading my Bible, spending time in worship, talking with friends and family, that Jesus was taking care of all of it. My husband's faith was strong and was an example to me when faith was not. I would think back to all the times that God had taken care of my family to remind myself that it had always been faithful. Keep in mind, during these eight months, we basically lived with our son and daughter-in-law and granddaughter. So they were in the middle of us. When we were fearful, they felt it. When we were confident, they felt it. So they were right in the middle of this faith journey. And she said, my husband is now the lead pastor here at South Sub. God is faithful. I pray the next time that I'm fearful of the unknown in my life, I will remember those eight months of God taking care of me. Now, here's what's interesting. This past week, as we're preparing this, I sent both my kids a text and I said, you know, we're trying to do this sermon. What are some ways that we help your faith grow and, and pass it to the next generation? And I was expecting some of the things we talked about, that we celebrated birthdays or we did their, their activities. 
This is what my 28-year-old son said. He texted me back, and he said, Dad, the thing that most affected my faith today is you and mom moving to Colorado. And I was like, wow, that was such a reminder, like a big bulletin, a big billboard up there going, our kids never stop watching us. And we don't outgrow this season that we're passing along the faith. We pass along our faith to the next generation until the day we take our last breath in this world. Um, a reminder, you can write down your notes. Reminder, you will influence your kids more with transparent faith than you will perfect faith. You will influence your kids more with transparent faith to live it out loud than you will with perfect faith. You know that verse I read for you in Deuteronomy, that those instructions about do these things when you go and talk about these things when you sit? Let me read the verse prior to that. Because that verse prior to that one was specifically for the parents. And here's what it says. Moses, God through Moses said, love God your God with all your whole heart and love him with all that's in you. Love him with all that you've got. And I think what God was saying to Moses, to us, to the children of Israel back then is, if you don't love God fully and outwardly, your kids will never see that. And you have to do that first before you start talking to, the, to them about the things of God to live it out loud. And so this morning, we just want to take that lower story of, of, of Mark chapter 7 and just share some things that we've learned along the way about parenting, specifically when it comes to motherhood. So Denise, can I just say thank you? Okay, can y'all just tell her thank you one more time? I told you, the first time she did this several years ago, it cost me a new pair of shoes because she got up here. I think this one may cost me a sofa. So we'll be taking up an offering after this service <laughs> so I can buy my wife the sofa. But here's how I want to close our service today. Um, I realize on a day that we refer to as Mother's Day, lots of celebration. We clapped, we hooped, we hollered, we passed out roses, and we're all smiling. Many of us going to lunch and doing all things with family. But it also can be a day of mixed emotions. It, it can be a day that we're celebrating, but there's many in this room that could be grieving. You're grieving because this is your first year or one of many years that you no longer have your mother here to celebrate. And while you can be happy, there's still this, this loss inside of you. I think that's normal. I, I, I think for some in here that you can be grieving and sad in the middle of celebration because you think back to the relationship you had with your own mom is not one that is worth celebrating sometimes that you still struggle with frustration and anger and, and maybe even unforgiveness at times. So it's that mix of celebration and frustration and anger and disappointment. Um, maybe you're here and I had a couple walk up to me after the first service and said, Keith, we celebrate Mother's Day, but our kids are estranged from us and it brings us great sorrow because we don't have that relationship with them. Or maybe you just look back and you're not separate, but your kids aren't walking the way that you hope. They're not walking with Jesus. And so there's that sadness or, or just there's so many, you know what I'm saying? There's so many conflicts. Here's what I know scripture says in James chapter five, I believe it is. It says, confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. Now that's not saying that we should get in front of the group and say every bad thing we did today. It's not saying that it's talking about a life of vulnerability and transparency. And that sometimes instead of holding all this grief, all this loss, and just, oh, it's all good, let's celebrate, and you're trying to hide all of this, we miss some of the healing that God has for us. But if we come together, and I think he designed the body of Christ, not the church as sitting in rows, but the body of Christ, the family. He's brought us together. Now think about this, 
to be a part of the healing process, to be a safe place that we can come and go on. We don't have it all together in my family. I will not be voted mother of the year this year. Or I'm dealing with so much sadness or anger, it's hard to really celebrate. But to come together and just confess that so we can pray for one another that we may be healed. And so I'm going to invite moms to something today that you may have never done here at South Sub. And I'm going to warn you, it's going to be a little awkward, okay? So let me tell you what it is, then we'll do it. I want to give moms that are dealing with the opposite of celebration, the sadness, the grief, maybe the anger, maybe the loss, all those other emotions, and you're going, Keith, that's me. I want to give you the opportunity to come forward just so we can pray for you. Now, you're going to come forward, you're going to face me, so you're going to act like everyone's not out there, but it gives you an opportunity just to say, transparency. Today is not all about celebration. There is hurt going on in my life today. We did it in first service, and there was, must have been eight, nine ladies that came up here, and the church was able to pray for them. Now, here's what's happening. If that's you right now, you're white-knuckling it. You're going, I can't get up. That's embarrassing. Somebody's going to know my stuff, right? I would rather somebody know my stuff and step into the healing that God has for you in it than to sit there and hide your stuff. And so, ladies, will you trust me enough, moms, if that's you, will you just simply walk up here at this moment right now and just stand right here in front of the table, and I want the opportunity to pray for you. Anybody would it like to come up just so for prayer this morning? Thank you. It's a long walk, isn't it? Thank you, ladies, for your... And you can just face me. You don't have to face everybody up. Just face me. We're going to pray for you. As I look, the few coming. Look, different shapes, sizes, ages. Yeah, thank you. We're not going to rush this. This is what I call a holy moment where God is right here with us. And this is where we as a church get to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. Come on in, Lynn. Thank you. Lynn's first, first Mother's Day without your mom. The celebration service is Wednesday, so thank you for coming. Anybody else? Now, before I verbally pray, would I, I just want to invite a few ladies to come and just lay hands on them. Now, maybe you're in the celebration category, but you're going, I will stand beside my sisters. I will stand beside my fellow moms. And when you're not strong, I will be strong with you. Can I just get a few ladies to come up here and just gather around them? Thank you. And here's what I love. It's another picture of moms of different shapes and sizes and ages. It's motherhood coming together. And dads, we're just dumb. Okay, we have no idea what's going on. So just sit there and pray. I'll just, just confess that right here. Church, will you join me as I pray, God, over these ladies? Jesus, thank you. That in this moment, you're offering healing. Healing of heavy hearts, heavy of broken hearts, healing of sad hearts. And you're offering this healing in one sense through the transparency of moms, but then through the hands and feet of other moms to be your love. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would minister, that you would love, and that you would encourage in a way that only you can do, Holy God. And so we recognize we're standing in a holy moment. And it's in this moment we receive your love and your grace. And we receive the love and the grace of our sisters and mothers in Christ. May you comfort, may you encourage, and may you strengthen. 
And we pray this in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.